This is the Home Pro Success Podcast, bringing you interviews with today's home improvement leaders and trades business game changers. Tune in to get actionable insights to grow your own business. Here's your host, Corey Phillip. Welcome back, guys. Today, joining me on the show, I've got Devin Tilly of Mountain View Windows and Doors. We'd end up talking about his process and how they fully integrate their role on each project. How having a showroom adds value either way, whether you're a subcontractor or a supplier, because Devin's business exists as both. How important it is to have continuous learning processes built into your training and your business if you want to grow, and how subleasing optimizes costs while still growing your business. So how you can get a facility for your business in an actual showroom and use subleasing to help you. We cover all this stuff and so much more in this episode. Tune in to this awesome episode with Devin Tilly. Devin Tilly, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. I'm glad to have you on the show because what some of you guys might know is Devin and I kind of operate in similar trades, but Devin's gone off in a totally different direction. We're both in the exterior contracting space. But as you'll hear, Devin is going off in a totally different direction, which is awesome because that's going to bring a lot of ideas to your head and mind. He's doing a lot of great things. Devin, just tell us right now about your business and where you're at and some of the things you got going on. And then after that, we'll take a step back and we'll you know, go through the process, reverse engineer the process of how you got where you are now. Awesome. Well, I've been in the uh, building materials industry my whole career after getting a degree in marketing, but I've always been fascinated by the construction arena, I like to call the art of construction. So I have always been in the supply channel industry, started in the corporate world, didn't fit that very well as an entrepreneur spirited guy to where I, I really wanted to own my own business. So I went out, worked with a few others and bought a little window and door supply company in 2012. And that company had started in 2006. And here we are in 2018 to where it was just, I was working for him and it was him and I and one service guy. And now we're in a place where we, uh, in Colorado, we really focus on the luxury markets, have two experience centers that I'd love to talk about. And then globally, four years ago, I started my megaphone called the Art of Construction. And I started that really as a platform originally. In fact, the first logo was my window and door company logo, but it was called the Art of Construction. I had brand identity crisis because I didn't talk about windows and doors. I talked about crusty contractor and the resistance to change and how forward thinking we need to be, but how many pitfalls there are along the way. So I started the Art of Construction podcast that now I'm in a spot where my mantra is all about elevate and delegate. And now I'm in a spot where I'm uh, the host of the Global Megaphone and keep my boots on the ground with owning a window and door company in Colorado. All right, well, that's a mouthful. Lots going on there for sure. And certainly you've made a lot of progress over that time period, which is six or seven years now, almost seven years. So it was 2012, you said you bought your business, the window and door company. And at that time, it was just you and one other guy. Did I hear that? And two helpers, I think you said? That's right. Yep. So the existing owner that started in 2006, in the window category, it's, you know, you really got to, I always say you got to buy right to sell right. And I've always been a big fan of Anderson Windows. He sold one of the premium lines that the Anderson family brands has acquired or bought several other companies. So he had sold the brand that was called Eagle Windows. That's now called their E-Series as they've rebranded it. But I had sold their product for a previous dealer before that and wanted to live in Denver. And he had that distributorship. So I went to work for him and worked for him for three years and negotiated the purchase to buy the business from him. So 
How big of a business was it when you bought it? Sounds like it was pretty small if it was, you know, just a handful of employees. Right. It was, I just bought the business that was in a strip mall, leased 1800 square foot facility that I bought the business that was called Mountain View Window Design, changed the name to Mountain View Window and Door, kept the logo to keep the consistency of, of moving that forward. And then I bought a building in Denver that was 10,000 square feet. And now we just expanded to our location on the other end of the state in Colorado in Grand Junction that we did it very different over there, but we got about 18,000 square foot of real estate over there. So from 1800 to 28,000 in that time frame of real estate and really big on the showroom or design center that we call experience centers that our trusted advisors crush it and use it as a place to differentiate. I like it. So you have one that's 18,000 square foot and one that's 10,000. I'm hearing that right? That's right. That's a lot of real estate there. And that's bigger than what most contractors have for showrooms. Most contractors have no showrooms. Uh, the ones that do usually have them you know, kind of smaller. Now I know your business, I think is kind of getting off into more of the supply side of things. So we'll talk about that, but real quick, how many employees do you have now running this whole team and this whole 28,000 square foot operation? Yeah, that's definitely one we might want to peel back the onion a little bit on as far as the, I own the real estate and I have multiple different value streams or different businesses that work together. So I have partners that I own the real estate in and I'm a big fan of that. If you want to grow and, and have an experience center or showroom is find a way to own the real estate because you're very passionate about the building. If it's your building and you're really thinking much more long-term, if you were to ever sell the business, you would still have something, you know, have a piece of real estate in addition to running that business. So a holding company owns the real estate that then leases to Mountain View Window and Door. And then I also have strategic partnerships to where in Denver, we have another company called Liaison Home. That's a uh, home automation company. So this is their place of business as well as my Grand Junction location. We took the design center showroom and we took co-working and put that all together. So we call them our test kitchens and experience centers to where it's all built in and it's our place to learn and to be the best trust advisors and bring other partners in. So the long answer to your question is there's 28 employees of the Mountain View, but there's several other partners or that work to make it all come together. So you've got a lot going on. You've certainly had to build up some infrastructure to get to that level. And before we go on real quick, how much of your business is kind of on the supply side of things versus how much is install roughly? So the company I bought was a supply only. So that's how a lot of your window dealers work, especially in like lumber yards to where Back in the day, a window was, you know, they were smaller. They were, there wasn't so many options and you would supply a two, six, four, you know, 30 inch by 40 inch window. Well, now the designs and the complexity is gotten so much bigger and so much more glass to where you've seen a, a big shift on the paradigms of the, you really need to look at installation if you're going to do these contemporary designs. So that's what we went out on a venture to do that and to so Mountain Window and Door owns the prepped rough opening. So we're really at work with strategic partnerships with our contractors and architects to help spec to secure the architect's vision and execute it through the contractor. So that's really our where we go to business. But you know, it was all supply and it's being much more of our what we call logistics, which is you already have to deliver and service the windows. It's just adding that uh, installation in the middle. Just adding the install. That was the next thing in the chain was adding the install once you took over the business. Uh, what kind of challenges did you guys run into with that? Because at this point now, you're not just having people come into what are your design centers. 
you've actually got to send people out into the field to become a field service operation at this point. How did that go? Did it go as you planned or did you run into some roadblocks? I'm certain you ran into some roadblocks because nothing ever goes as planned. Well, this is where I would toot the horn of the art of construction. I interviewed this guy, his name's Corey Phillip, and it was an awesome interview about where we talked about the biggest expenses, which is labor. And that's the part that we get in all these conversations about what caulking and what trinkets and what this and what that and payroll is your big deal. So go check out that podcast to paint the picture on in-house versus external labor is the big deal when it comes to installation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, who are your main clients here? Talk to us about that because you've got a design center and I'm hearing, you know, architects, engineers, and builders. And then also earlier on in the show, you said high-end residential homes. Who is making the decision to buy from you essentially? Who are you marketing to? Who are you speaking to in that marketing message? Yes. So our mantra that we work on behind the scenes is it starts with the architect. So, and it's creating that best value and that trusted partnership to help them execute their design. And then when you're helping them execute the design is to find the right materials that get specced and work with their design. And then after the architect does that, then it goes out to bid for different contractors. But the real is whoever the decision maker is. And, And we really love when we say begin with the end in mind is whoever that is, you know, that project is going to be for, those are the people we really want to make sure we're asking the right questions and guiding those solutions. Now, if it's a speculatory build where it's, they don't, there isn't a homeowner, then it's the builder. But the long answer to that is it, it's all project-based and you got to have the golden triangle of you got to spec with the architect. You got to know who's going to be paying for the windows and signing off on that, which is typically the contractor And then who is the one that's making the final decisions, the project designer, the homeowner, you know, all those types. So you really have to have all three of them to have a successful project. And that's where we like to be in the middle when it comes to windows and doors. That's interesting because, I mean, you've, well, you've positioned yourself to be in that position to serve all of the people ultimately is what it sounds like. No matter where they go, if they, or if these projects go out to bid, ultimately you're pretty confident that you guys are getting the at least material purchase on the windows and doors, probably because, hey, the architect has been working with this company and he's already made his material takeoff based on your inventory and numbers. So naturally he's going to turn that over to the builder GC and they're just going to kind of, I mean, they could go elsewhere, but it's essentially spoon fed to them and it's so easy. They're going to come back to you. Am I hearing that right? I wish it was that easy, but there's this word called value engineering that is, that can, most people look at that and cringe because it's about just going and, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, most projects are not under budget, they're over budget. So that's when we talk about beginning with the end in mind is to say, what is the true budget when it comes to the window category? And then overall to really be your trusted partner and then guide you to the right products for that to get the best solution based on, you know, what are the capabilities? Now, going, you know, on to the, you know, deeper into the subject, I guess, here of your design centers, because this is something everyone always asks questions about and is kind of on the edge. Should we get a showroom? Should we not? Should we bring customers to it? What if we bring customers to a third-party showroom, which sounds like some of your clients do, obviously, well, they're you, so that is a third client that they're having. Where do you kind of take that in terms of, how the business ultimately gets back to you. I guess what I'm trying to say is how many people come into the design center and have a good experience, but ultimately just use your numbers or your time to take it out and shop it around somewhere else. 
Yeah, so you, you have to really set up good processes and systems for that. And the first question is, do you want to grow your business? And if you want to grow your business, what separates you from the competition? So it's back to business 101 of doing competitive analysis in your market, what you really want to do, where you want to go, and setting up that plan. For me, I had the luxury of working for four years in the corporate world. And my job, we had a door shop and distribution center. And my job was to go to 28 lumber yards in a four-state region and help support them with whatever the corporate program was. Well, I found how much those corporate programs were shoved down their throat versus really working those strategic partnerships. But I did see that they got a lot of sales by having visualization, but not just from a corner sample or a brochure, but from full experience centers in a lumber yard. And so that really resonated with me as I learned by doing in the industry. So I always said I wanted to have that. And you got to buy right to sell right. And so I have great partnerships with manufacturers that have partnered with me to make this happen. So these displays, they partner with you. And the other thing that's been really fun is that, you know, you got to have a place to do work anyway. So I'm looking at, you know, our live video stream, you have a door and a pocketing door behind you. So we're really big on our, it's called Junction Station, where we built out, you know, 14 offices and five conference rooms and call one of them Schoolology, that's 30 by 40 and all has moving glass. And it's this amazing conference room, but it's also the displays as well for Mountain View Window and Door. So, and by putting those displays in, my trust advisors really learn how to do it in our test kitchen before we go do it in a customer's home. So it's very, there's a lot of reasons in addition to someone coming in and getting a bid to take elsewhere of why we do what we do. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're bringing up a lot of other good points here on actually having a physical facility, if not, you know, a showroom, a real showroom, you know, kind of a using that as a destination and attraction to get customers in the door, but also for training purposes and other functional purposes in the business. One thing that just kind of hit me recently, going back to the whole labor topic here is in the early days, when I first started my company, Gulf Coast Aluminum, which would have been 2012, we were operating out of a house. So <laughs> it sounds so weird, but it was my house, three bedroom, two bath house. We had like four trucks parked in the front yard. We eventually ended up having to get an office because code enforcement shut us down for running a business out of the house. <laughs> and people would literally come to work at the house. So the backyard was like a parking lot. And that was how my company you know, got off the ground for the first year. But that first year was really a struggle finding people. And looking back on it, I always said, you know, if I had a do-over and I could go back in time, obviously finances provided, I would have gotten, you know, a real facility. Mind you, you know, we have a real facility, but our showroom is like 300 square foot room and we don't really use it as a destination center, which, you know, is something that's really on the forefront of my mind, changing that up and really stepping up our business that way. But as I'm saying, go back to the beginning of time, I would get a real facility. I think that would improve our recruitment process a lot because one thing that you have to think about is the people that are going to come work from your house, and at that time I'm 22 years old and I look even younger than I do now, the people that are going to come work there are the people that don't want to work for a formal operation. They don't want to follow systems and procedures. So they're going to kind of see you as a you know derelict type of thing where they can you know just kind of come and go and do what they want. And uh, Devin, I think you'd agree with me kind of based on what I just said that you know, it would help out a good bit with your recruitment process and actually getting serious and motivated employees. Yeah, I've been a fan of your stuff as you do a good job of articulating this crazy new world of this digital world. 
But at the end of the day, the critical path of your business is there's two words that you have to dial in if you want to grow, and that's trust and credibility. How do you gain trust and credibility when someone walks into our Denver Experience Center that Anderson Windows, the biggest manufacturer, gave us the dealer of the year and we were, you know, window and door magazines. I don't say that stuff, but that gives you credibility. But then it, I didn't get those awards from being Chuck in a truck. And so if, if you want to be Chuck in a truck with the magnet on the side of your truck, cool, man. If you want to be a solo technician and you want to do that, I challenge Chuck in a truck to say you might be better off working for a Corey or a company like that, that has an office that you can run those standards. So that's really comes down to, you know, don't try to put the square peg in the round hole. I love growing. I love change, but not all leaders are cut from that cloth. Yeah. Now let's talk about would it be wise for people to kind of invest in a showroom or just to, to make that plunge? Because I think in some trades, you know, having the retail space isn't, you know, a necessity, particularly in the trades, maybe let's like, let's say electric, electrical, maybe painting. I'm not sure. I mean, are you on board with me? I mean, no matter which trade you open up or were to dive into, would you say we need retail space? Certainly we can all agree that you need, you know, like an industrial space or flex space type of thing that has, you know, a little showroom in it, kind of like what I have now, a couple hundred square foot of showroom and then a few thousand a warehouse. Where would you draw the line here? Like, let's try to give everyone listening something actionable on, you know, yes, you should or no, you shouldn't. Obviously, I know it's going to come down to everybody's business and where they're at in terms of things. But are there any golden rules that you've got up your sleeve that could help somebody make this decision here if they're on the fence about it? The first question I would ask to going down that is, who is your ideal customer? And then do you want to grow and how do you service their ideal customer? If you're strictly a service-based business and all you do is put new screens in people's houses, then you may just need a kit that's really good to go into their house and do that and be much more internet-based and marketing. You may not be need the brick and mortar, I think is what you're talking about here, is how much do you want to invest in the brick and mortar but, you know, I interviewed the founder of a software called Proximity. His name's Brian Watson. And it just resonated with me that their software is built for co-working. And that's the software we used where when we took co-working and design center and put it all together, it's the brain that everybody in the community can use to check into the conference rooms and coming in and out the doors and all those awesome things. And he said, you know, there's something about getting up in the morning and having to put your pants on. And he's like, and so working from home or just getting in the, you know, there's something about having that reputation of a place that is yours that has a sign on the front of it and to put a staple into that. So that's what you got to figure out for yourself. And that's what's going to make your business work for you. Whoa. Hey there. Real quick, if you're enjoying this podcast, do me a quick favor and head on over to the rating section of your podcast player. Leave a star rating and drop a comment. It's your feedback that gets me amped up for this podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Gotcha. So, I mean, what I'm hearing out of that, you know, is, you know, I guess you, you have to consider your target customer here and essentially what they value. That's essentially what every business decision is going to come down to. And I think, in, you know, most trades, well, I said most trades or some trades might not want to do this or might not need to. I think in most trades, you can ultimately 
find a target service or product that would benefit from you know having a retail center that would allow you to target more premium high-end customers for example going back to my electrician um example that i use there you know you could start a high-end electrical showroom and show off some of your more top-notch kind of fixtures and stuff there so that's one idea that might work but i think no doubt here the consensus is that you should have at least some sort of physical facility just to kind of be taken seriously and establish yourself as a reputable business. And that's going to mean a lot to customers. I know one of the things we do in my business, because most of our competitors, we have a few major, we have a handful of major competitors. We have about five of them, you know, that actually have fabrication facilities. And there's a million little chuck and a truck operations out there that don't have a real facility. So it's not uncommon for us to have customers that will come to us and all their other estimates are from these little fly-by-night chuck in a truck. And it's a huge differentiation point. And we say, hey, if you want to check out samples, come on down to our office. And at the same time, we can also use that as a qualifying process so that we're not necessarily running out and doing on-site estimates all the time because as everyone knows, that's costly and time-consuming. So having that actual physical facility is really huge for sales. Let's shift gears into that. Devin, let's just say I'm a homeowner and I call you up I say, hey, I want to get, you know, new windows in my house, thinking of going with some energy efficient windows. What are you guys going to tell me on the phone? I want to get a quote. My name's Corey, and I want to get a quote on getting some energy efficient windows in my home. Where are you guys going with that? Well, if you want to role play, the first question is, are you working with a contractor? Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not working with a contractor. I think where you're going with this is that our, we got to make sure we're setting up our segments properly because we sell through B2B is the majority of our business. So we don't sell direct to the homeowner, which a lot of your service base or replacement window exterior companies are chasing hailstorms or weather doing whatever. And they're, they're packaging a bundle of services to sell it directly in home selling. That's we're the total opposite of that. You know, we, we use our experience center to sell. So we would ask questions to find out, you know, are we the right fit for them? Are you working with a contractor? Do you have a design? The things that we think are important and how we best fit to work with that. So we call that the needs analysis that we work hard on a, a structured, the top end of the funnel when our trust advisors take over, it fits what we're good at. So it sounds like you're obviously qualifying them and you're probably referring them on and that would that be the next step to a contractor that generally works with you? Yeah, this is where I think a good takeaway for your team is that one thing you might want to look at is that you don't necessarily, you know, we talked on our pod and the Art of Construction podcast is all about labor, but if you're going to take on overhead, that's your second biggest expense. Sometimes it can be even bigger than that if you do it the wrong way. So you may want to strategically look at that as well as maybe you should, if you're an electrical contractor down the vein you were talking about, is go in and work out a partnership with a place like mine to get your sign inside of there. And that could be a good lead generator and a partnership as a strategic partner. So you don't necessarily always have to look at doing it all on your own. And then why I'm telling you that story is that we, when it comes to homeowners, we have a strategic partner that those leads go through her that she works in our business and handles all those leads. And I would qualify that as two-step distribution or pass through business that then she orders all the product back from us. We want to make sure that our partnerships would build up with our contractors and architects are strategically defined. Awesome. That was a good answer to that. So you basically have a little bit of a referral system going on. And for those out there listening that you know don't want to incur the overhead, set up some type of relationship with a company like Devon's and A, you can kind of funnel in some leads from them, but B, you've got a comfortable place 
where you can bring your customers to where you don't really have to worry about them getting stolen. Because I know that, well, let's, let me just go back to my experience getting granite countertops in my own place here. I went to small operation. They kind of took me to an offsite showroom type of thing to look at the granite and all that. But then when I'm there, or I forget exactly how this happened, but at some point they end up handing me a card basically telling me that they can install it cheaper than what the other guy is. And that, you know, that went down and that's a perfect example of why you don't really want to be sending everybody off to kind of some place where you're not familiar with. Strategic relationships sounds like the way to go there as Devin's explaining it. Yeah, but you don't expect or you don't expect. And what I, why I say that is that you, business is business. And so the critical path was reversed there, right? So he was able to take that lead and then kind of turn it around. You have to make sure you set up the business to make it good for you and the strategic partner when you do those things. Awesome. Good stuff there. So on that note, I want to talk to you about some things I've seen on your Facebook wall. You're out in Las Vegas this week and you're at a building convention and you're sharing some cool stuff. What do you, what, tell me what's going on there. Some cool tech, some things that are changing around. So yeah, stepping way up, uh, you know, to the industry trends of, I follow that really close on the art of construction platform and stay tuned. We're going to hold, do a whole deep dive series about this of where I would analyze that of, I'm not sure the listeners in your podcast, if what shows they go to, but you have your local chapters and then you have your regional shows, but then the biggest shows are much more in the past are specific, but the biggest one I would say is probably the international builder show in the past. And then they've joined with the NAKB and the national kitchen and bath show. And it's this big show. And I learned about that. I hadn't even heard about this and it's called AU Autodesk university and it's massive and it's at Vegas. And what it is, is it's this whole, all the technology stuff and the way I would, re- I would put it, it's like the International Builder Show, what it's going to be in 10 years, but technology is going to be totally different in 10 years. So it was fascinating for me to go to this show to say, this is mind-blowing of lasers and drones and robots and software and hardware and all these. There were so many ideas that I saw about how we could add value streams to our business. So back to that whole working on your business versus in your business when you take the time to go out and get out of what you don't know what you don't know. So you get out and learn about all this stuff. It's fascinating to be that one ahead of the curve. And this is a great platform for that called Autodesk University. You can see a lot of, if you subscribe to the Art of Construction or my feed, there's going to be a bunch of stuff from lots of meetings I had and different things coming from that. What's one thing that you kind of took away or you're excited about one new kind of product or innovation, something like that, that you think is going to make a big difference, particularly in your business? The, the whole VRAR, so virtual reality, augmented reality, and how real this is coming and how fast it's coming to where you don't need to get in your truck and go to the job site and take measurements and do all these things and using technology to fast track the process of what I always talk about is begin with the end in mind of having this these processes using this technology of the challenging things we have to do of the bid process and the all those things. There's so many cool tools out there to fast track that now. So the virtual reality and augmented reality, I'm not seeing in my head how that, you know, would actually kind of be used. I'm not too familiar with the whole virtual reality stuff. Are you saying maybe like a customer, tell us more about it here. Assume I know nothing. Virtual reality is where you're hundred percent in a virtual space. So you put the goggles on and you're, it all has to be created. Augmented reality 
is that you actually see what's there in tools like the Microsoft HoloLens. I got to put it on for the first time. And so you go to this, these places and actually physically use all these tools and the augmented reality is where it's at because you can actually see what's there and what will be there in a digital platform. So, you know, the electrician, you could now go in there and you could actually see a big open, just a big warehouse. And then you could take the digital platform and plug in all of the elect, where all the electrical wires go versus trying to read the plans that are kind of mixing and matching. And you can look at it before you actually do it. That's the power of it. So kind of like, with augmented reality, I hear seeing through the walls almost. Yeah, and, and creating it digitally, yeah. Wow. So lots of, lots of cool stuff there. And I mean, you could certainly obviously spend a lot of time researching that. So that's one of the things that's out there and coming on up. One other detail that was really cool is this company called Igloo. And Igloo is taken and they actually make a round room. And so what people are really trying to crack the code is to get out of having the goggles on. So the room is round and then they have projectors around there. So imagine a blank warehouse, you put this igloo in there and now digitally in a circle, you can see what the whole space is going to be. And with the round walls, it really feels like you're actually in the space before you're actually there. So that's interesting because I've had the actual goggles on, you know, where they're on your face, you can feel it and you got the big headphones on. And I mean, when you're in it for a few minutes and especially when there's audio and these like uh, some of the video game type of stuff that really consumes you. But I could see what it, the challenge would be for a homeowner. Like, well, you know, it's not going to be on my face like this. What's it going to look like? So is that something you're going to have coming up? Like when that comes out, are you going to have that at Mountain View Window and Door? Oh man, I, I hope so. That's what I'm trying to, those type of tools. But it's challenging blazing trails and being an early adopter. And you only have so much time and money and that stuff may go or may be a challenge. So I would love to, but it's a little out of my wheelhouse right now. But I'm trying to figure it out. It's like you're, James on your, you know, he says you measure jobs through VR, just like I use Google Maps on measuring roofs. So that's that whole laser point in the GPS. It's unbelievable the tools that are coming out there. So you can mock up on an iPad, but it's all going to the cloud real live time. And companies like DeWalt that are putting, they're all going digital where you have your Wi-Fi on the job site, all the tools are GPS coded, all these things to fix problems of where did my tools walk off the job site? I we don't need have GPS internet. on Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi GPS on my tools at my company for sure. Yeah. So those were all the things I got to see live that are all becoming real soon. So um, did I answer your question? There's, no, there's, there's a lot to see. <laughs> there's a lot that's out there. Yeah. One day I kind of want to take some time and just kind of browse through it because it's really intriguing. And I, you know, I get a lot of notifications and it's kind of, you know, in my face all the time, but I never really actually pay attention to it. Yeah, I challenge people to go to try to budget once a year to go to one of these shows, whether it's IBS or AU or AIA or one of these national shows. And I go to all of them. So if anybody is like kind of on the fence and wants help and to guide them there, just like people have guided me, because it's scary, right? You don't know what it is. And you think I'm spending too much money. But man, getting out of the office or on your job site and getting away from the screens and the day to day stuff, it's amazing what what you take in for a couple of days. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes we get too focused in our own tunnel and sometimes that's good, but you do need to step outside of it. Devin, one thing I want to go back and touch on here is back on the whole showroom design center experience. This is a question I've got that's kind of lingering in my head. Do you have any golden rules of thumb for what would be retail merchandising, essentially setting up your showroom? How much space do you need? Maybe that's a, you know, that's kind of a tricky question to answer. 
But what's in your mind when you're saying this is going to be an effective design center? What are you looking for? And, you know, what would you change maybe if you had a do-over in it? What are some kind of rules of thumb on it? We've redone the Denver one since 2012. We're getting ready to revamp it for the fourth time. And there's times like, God, I wish I could have just done this all right the first time. And So that's four times in six to seven years at this point. Right. And I'm not the whole, but, but what I've learned over the years, if you're always refreshing it, you're always cutting edge. And the advice I would give is that don't overthink, you know, per square foot and all the standard stuff and find out what you can afford and then get the best value. But make sure you're really understanding your, your core target market and your target area so that you know who you're catering to and where you want to in that geographic area. So that was a big deal to me. And I saw a lot of other locations when I traveled around the country to see how other people did it. So it was really important to me to start by having my whole team internally under one roof. So the sales, the operations, the logistics, not having a, a warehouse that's cheaper somewhere else and then having that really high-end showroom somewhere. It, it's just as much internal as it is external, if you ask me. So number one would be get the best value, get a place that you can grow from within and then get creative. It's really expensive to move from one location to another, but you know, the story I'd tell is that we were in 1800 square feet and, and went through this whole process. And I did my business plan. I said, well, you know, 5,000 square foot is the max I can afford. And I was going from one location to the next location. And there was this building that I ended up buying that said liquidation is for sale. And it's like, it was a plumbing and hardware supplier. So it like, it was like turnkey ready for me to start doing business. And I said, that's the building I want. My agent's like, Devin, that's 10,000 square feet. That's double your, you can't afford it. I said, well, if there's a will, there's a way. So I you know, got money to help that. My real estate agent helped me. I had five subleases and now we've been able to grow from within without having to just massive disruption of moving other facilities. So my advice is if you, if you want to do this long term, if you passionately believe this is for you, get yourself a building that you can grow from within and then get other people that they're going to help you so much by having other people. I call them my tribe. I got my, my Mountain View team and the Art of Construction tribe that helps me so much. And back to that go-giver philosophy of putting your pants on in the morning and coming to a place to work together. You said one thing there that really stood out and that was subleases. So what you did here was you bought a building that probably had multiple units in it, subleased those out or left the subleases in place. And then as you grew, you were able to take over that space as those leases were expiring. Is, am I right on the money with that? Right. So like one of the leases at the time, his company was a gutter company and then he wanted to expand and to start to doing awnings. And he was working in a little place up in the foothills and wanted to get into Denver. And I said, Hey, I have this space. I'll give you a good price for a year to see if it's a good, you know, so that it wasn't this massive overhead and didn't have to pay for internet and all these, all these things he had to do on his, on his own. He just had to come in and start it he's now bought his own building up there that he's doing the same subleasing in. So it's helping each other out, grow your business together. And another trick of that is that as long as your primary company can adopt, can take over 51% of the location, you can get an SBA loan. So you can get a long-term loan. You don't want to get a conventional short-term loan that you get stuck. You want to get a good long-term loan that keeps your monthly fee lower. And now you can set up a full timeline for 20 years versus getting a five-year arm with an SBA. And if you can occupy 51% of that facility, now you can lease out the rest and you can double dip. Nice. Awesome. I love that model. I love that model. 
Final question here before we wrap things up. You mentioned location. Are most of your customers coming to your location as a destination or does, you know, your premium location, you know, kind of road frontage, does that make a difference? Like if I'm considering this, should I, you know, make sure I've got the premium location with good road exposure? Does that help? Is it worth the value? Is it worth the money? Or would I be better off making this a destination only type of place? Back again, it depends on your segment and your target area. So if you're B2B, then no, I actually think a storefront that is going to be B2C can be a distraction. We've went over the years, have struggled with, should we put trade only on the front door? And we don't have that, but we have a really good system to where if it's a homeowner, we have an awesome team that helps guide them to our referral partner division. Right on. All right. Well, on that note, Devin, thanks for coming on the show today. Why don't you tell the listeners how they can connect with you in the future if anybody wants to hear what you have to say and connect with you, see what you got going on. I know you've got a lot of awesome stuff. If you haven't already caught on, Devin has an awesome, awesome podcast called Art of Construction. Definitely worth taking a look at. His episodes on there are great. I've actually listened to many of them, nearly all of them over the last few years. So Devin, where can everyone connect with you? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, personally, the best way to try to get inside of the Tasmanian Devon's head is just go to LinkedIn, Devon Tilly, D-E-V-O-N-T-I-L-L-Y, and you'll see all my businesses there from co-working spaces to window companies to the podcast, and I'll have different platforms and websites from there and how they all come together. So thanks for having me on, man. I'm cheering you on. I'm honored to be one of the front-end guys on uh, getting your podcast going. Awesome, man. Devin, I'm always happy to talk to you on here, and we'll certainly put all those links in the show notes. Take care. Thanks, man. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.